The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. The issue of racial tension almost needs no explanation. And now many of you, even as you're hearing this, you're already feeling a fatigue about why we would talk about racial tension and what we can do about it. And so let me just challenge you with this. The reason why many of you are feeling fatigued is because the politicians and the news have been leading the conversation and you've been, you've been debating and arguing on social media platforms rather than bringing that into the church where Christians are leading the conversation. And so right now, as for our city churches and for our city pastors, we want to not only model that conversation, but lead that conversation. And what you might not know or what you wouldn't know is that a group of pastors have been getting together now several times to lead and have a conversation about racial tension and racial reconciliation. And so this is for our city pastors coming together to say, what is the problem and what is the solution? And so I've invited Pastor Les to join me in this conversation. Pastor Les leads Impact Ministries, and we just want to kind of bring you behind the scenes that we feel, you know what, churches need to hear this, and it needs to be a beginning point for a conversation. Pastor Les, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in our meetings is what is the real pain point? And so I'm just going to hand it back to you and say, would you share with us as the church, as for our city churches, what do you see within the black community as some of the key pain points that we're hearing about right now, or the reason why it's rising to the surface is because under the surface there are these pain points. First, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity, and prayerfully I can respectfully show the points from all our black pastors, like pastor council, um, views. Now going into your question, um, to answer the, the undergirth of where we may be, the Bible says, heart, hope deferred makes the heart sad. And sadness can go to two directions. It can go toward depression, or it can go to a place of anger. And that's where we are at right now. And we may see the fruit, but the root of it all. You see the madness, but the madness is only a multiplied sadness. And that sadness comes from the despair. That's where you see the pain, that's where you see the hurt. And instead of pitying ourselves, trying to find a solution. So what we see today is the hurt that is being shown by the madness and trying to find a resolution. One of my concerns right now is that churches and Christians and people gathering within the church or watching online just tune out because they immediately think that we're taking a political side here, right? My, so that's, that's one of my concerns. But I want to make sure that we understand, that we truly hear, that we truly listen. And so is there anything that you're saying, I want to make sure that you're hearing this or you're understanding this regarding the tension right now that our nation is feeling. I'm not a social activist, but I do look at myself as a spiritual, scriptural strategist. So with the church, I believe it starts back with us praying, us praying on how we ought to respond, not to react. Yeah, and so I would say like, you know, not politics and not a protest, prayer. Prayer. Okay, so beyond prayer, where do we go from here? Beyond prayer, we have to be more accountable within our own, right? As we are, as we expect accountability, we have to hold up our accountability at the same time. But that accountability should be graded by us, should be told by us. 
and that gives us more weight for the accountability of women and others, which means um, our men need to be in the homes. Um, education need to be number one, um, and we need to be present and show love one toward another as if we are in war, right? But in war of love, so that when others come in, we may be able to receive them. But that takes a process because there's a whole level of pain and hurt, and that can only come spiritually in order for the practical to even be able to edge its way. Pastor Wes, thank you so much. And, And really a thank you, not just to you, but to the pastors that you represent, the churches that you represent, the community and the city blocks that you represent, that we are listening, we are hearing, our hearts do hurt, we do care, and we do want to be a key part of the solution, at least in our city, at least in our community, at least in our schools. So thank you, brother. Are you bridging the divide or are you making matters worse? I'm gonna go ahead and let you just pause and think about it for a moment. Are you bridging the divide or are you making matters worse? Look, here's the deal. We live in a nation and a generation of rage. And so we rage about politics. We rage about the economy. We rage about the coronavirus and masks versus no masks. We rage against social issues. We rage and we rage. And so what we've done is if we've created a you versus me and an us versus them reality, and as a result, who benefits when we're divided? How are you benefiting from the division? Is this good for you? Is it good for those around you? Is it good for our community? No, here's what's happening. The rage in our generation and our nation, it breaks us down and it begins to deteriorate our own hearts, right? Because we feel the turmoil and we turn on the news and we get frustrated and we hear one opinion and we go, yeah, that's right. And it makes us angry. But then we hear another opinion. We go, wait a second. Now I'm confused. And the division around us becomes a division in us and we have broken hearts and broken homes and broken marriages and divided city streets, a divided city and a divided nation. And more division will not heal the divide. Hate will not heal hate. Violence and yelling louder will not get someone in their own echo chamber to listen. If you have to raise your voice or use all caps to emphasize your point, the other side's not going to listen any better. So what is the answer? What do we do? Because the reality is our anger, our hate, our hurt, our pitting ourselves one against the other, all it does is creates a greater and greater division of us versus them. And so what's the key? Well, Jesus spoke to a very divided nation. I I felt like this is a moment where I really want to push in on it because I doubt very many of you have a context for what the nation of Israel looked like 2,000 years ago as it was occupied and oppressed by the Roman Empire, a tyrannical, abusive Roman Empire who was occupying their streets with standing armies. The the nation of Israel, where you have a, a small pocket of people that are very wealthy and the rest 
are living oppressed and abused. The wealthy are the ones that figured out how to play the Roman game. So they are for uh, Rome. They are in favor of the empire because they're profiting off of it, right? So this is your Jewish tax collectors and the king, King Herod, and, and who, people who benefited off of Rome while the rest of the people suffered, and they suffered. They suffered in poverty. They suffered uh, under injustice, under systemic, systemic murder and abuses and rape. And then here's how people responded. You had, you had the zealots. Um, this is going to sound controversial, but the zealots, uh, who some of them became followers of Jesus, they would be modern-day Antifa. Like kind of anarchist, reckless, violent, just trying to overthrow Rome. And then you had someone like Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was a Jewish man, who was considered a traitor because he profited off of Rome. So he was collecting their taxes from his own people. The money he collected was given to Rome. They used it to fund the army. And here's Matthew, a Jewish man, profiting off of this exchange, getting rich on the backs of his countrymen. People surrounded Jesus because they wanted Jesus to speak up against Rome. And not just speak up against Rome, but overthrow Rome. And so by the tens of thousands, they gathered around Jesus and he spoke. But he, he didn't speak for Rome or against Rome. He didn't take a political side. He spoke deeply, personally, about what it looks like for God to be the king of your life and for you to be a citizen of heaven. And in his Sermon on the Mount, recorded by Matthew, that tax collector who, when he saw Jesus, he saw a new way, and Matthew began to follow Jesus, and later he recorded his eyewitness account of the life and teachings of Jesus. Matthew records the sermon Jesus gave after he had been followed by this massive crowd who wanted to lead an insurrection against Rome, and Jesus withdrew from his own coronation and eventually sat down and began to teach this crowd what it what it looks like for him to be the king of their hearts. Please listen to me. This message is personal, not political. I know that all of you, your minds are running a, you know, a mile a minute. This is one of those sermons, it's almost hard to come up and even want to share. If it's hard for you to hear, trust me, it's harder for me to preach it. Because this is a season where we're so divided that if I don't say what you want me to say, you're gonna think I'm siding with the other side. If I don't come out against something, you think I'm for it. If, I don't, if, I'm, not, if I'm not saying I'm for it, then you think I'm a bigot. That's how we do it to each other. But here's Jesus speaking personally, not politically, and he's teaching in this sermon, and he says this, this is the one, this is so powerful. I've been walking systematically through the Beatitudes in this sermon series for our city, and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. I, I mean, I love it. If each of you at each of our campuses online right now, if you're in your own home, I want you just to say peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Go ahead, say peacemaker. Peacemaker, peacemaker. there it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. How, how do you know that someone's a child of God? Not a child of Rome, not a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus knew what he was saying. He goes, you want to be called a child of God? You got to be a peacemaker. So 
What Jesus is looking at is everybody in the crowd was either for Rome or against Rome. Most of them, the 99% were against Rome. They were, they were for an insurrection or against an insurrection. They were for taxes or against taxes. I mean, just the list goes on. It's as if Jesus was speaking to a crowd of tens of thousands today. Jesus offered not a for or against, but a new way, a different way. He said, be peacemakers. I'm going to challenge you. This new way is that you are called to be a peacemaker. And and that sounds amazing. Man, could you imagine if in our nation, in our city, in our streets, in our homes, in your marriage, in your relationship with your family members, with a coworker, with a colleague, if just your social media feed, if it was filled with unity and peace, but it's impossible. It is. You want to know why it's impossible? Not because our nation's divided or our cities are divided or because our politics is so divided, but because our hearts are divided. Our hearts are divided internally. We are in our own turmoil, and the city and our streets and our nation is a reflection of the condition of each of our own hearts. There's violence in the streets because there's violence in our heart. There's hate in the streets because there's hate in our heart. There's a divided nation because we have divided hearts. And the division in our hearts starts with our divide against God. You wanna know where this all begins? You wanna know what's at the root? You wanna know, know who's pulling the strings? Some of you, I know, you, you've gotten so caught up in politics, you think, who's benefiting from all this division? And there may be, there may be some Illuminati group pulling all the strings. There may be some political group that's benefiting from the division in our nation. But let me be clear, there is a group, or there's at least someone conspiring who's pulling the strings, and I can tell you who it is. For those of you that have gotten lost in the politics of thinking there is a conspiracy of very powerful people somewhere manipulating what's going on behind the scenes, I'm gonna give you bad news, there is. He's an intelligent evil, his name is Satan. There is a real enemy out to destroy you and I, out to destroy our nation, out to destroy your marriages, out to destroy our streets, out to destroy our lives. The enemy of our soul, Satan, is out to steal, kill, and destroy, but he doesn't have to work very hard because all he's got to do is leverage your own sin against yourself. Sin is the spiritual divide inside of every one of us. The spiritual divide comes, you and I were born with this already at work in us, sin, which pushes us away from God. The divide between us and God We're separated from God. And so we live in an us versus them. I am against God and I live my life believing that God is against me. And as a result, I follow this sin that leads me not only away from God, but whatever God says is best and good. And I start to believe the lies that tear me up from the inside out. Lies that trick me into believing that things that are bad for me are actually good for me. And desires that will destroy me actually will make me feel better. And so I live my life pursuing sin. And as a result, it hurts me and it hurts others. But God, listen to me carefully. I I want to make this clear. You know, here's Jesus teaching his nation, the Jewish people, how to live with him as their king. I I thought it was important for you to know that God is not Jewish. God entered into the world, born a baby in an oppressed nation, into poverty and into anonymity. He became a Jew to reach Jews to reach the world. 
But this is important because Jesus entered into our brokenness, into our oppression, into the division, into the hate and the hurt to become the bridge. Jesus stepped into the division and he bridged the divide. How? Because the real turmoil inside of us, the real turmoil on our streets and in our nation is that we are separated from God. And so God didn't wait for us to bridge the gap with him. He came to us and he initiated peace. He initiated reconciliation. God became a man in order to invite men into relationship with God. How did he do that? Because someone has to pay, right? There's a reason for this uh, uh, injustice. There is a reason for all this wrong. There is a reason for this hate and this hurt and someone should pay. And so Jesus did. He said, I'll pay for it all. And so Jesus took on all the hate and all the hurt and all the wrongdoing, every bit of it, the result of sin, all the division, all the wrongdoing, all the anger, all the madness of Rome. All of the, the rape and the abuse and the poverty and the injustice, all rooted in sin. And so Jesus said, I'll take it all on myself. I'll pay the price. And so Jesus willingly died, offering his life as the payment for all the wrongdoing and all the sin and all the injustice. And he, he, at the end of it, the worst part of sin is not just that it hurts and it hurts others. It's that it separates us from God and it sends us toward an eternal ruin. And so Jesus takes on the eternal death sentence and pays the ultimate price in his own death. He suffers on our behalf and paid through his death, our death sentence. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, guilt, and shame removed. And in place of guilt and shame, Jesus bridged the divide between us and God, reconciling us with God. Jesus came, the Son of God, to be the Prince of Peace, the ultimate and eternal peacemaker. But Jesus not only died, he rose from the dead, and in his resurrection, he brought victory. Victory over death, victory over sin, victory over eternal judgment. Victory so that in Jesus there is ultimate justice. In Jesus there is ultimate mercy. In Jesus there is grace. In Jesus there is forgiveness. In Jesus there is healing. In Jesus there is hope. In Jesus there is life. In Jesus there is a future. There's a future for your marriage. There's a future for your heart. There's a future for our city streets. There's a future for our nation because of Jesus. The only peace that we will ever find is in the name of Jesus. You, you want unity? It will be found in Jesus. In fact, I'm going I'm to give you a little sneak peek behind the scenes into my prayers. The way I pray for our nation, I say, God, I am acutely aware that our nation cannot heal itself. So God, would you work such a miracle that it's obvious that you are the only way to peace? That you are the only answer for unity. That we don't get false unity and that we don't get peace in a, in a faux way. God, we don't need fake peace and we don't need phony unity. We need you to bring healing and you to bring unity so that you get all the glory. That's how I pray. Because I know that the only answer for peace and the only way to unity is to the person of Jesus Christ. And so if that's where you're at. If you know that you've got a divided heart, if this stuff is tearing you up from within and you need to find hope and healing in Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to begin by taking that first step through faith in Jesus Christ, saying yes to Jesus, receiving peace with God. 
allowing Jesus to be the bridge between you and him, reconciling you to right relationship with God and forgiving your sins and giving you new life. If you're making that commitment, you let us know. Simply text the name Jesus to 411, please. I, almost, I don't wanna beg, but I wanna simply say, if you don't have peace in your heart, if you've got turmoil, if you've got hate or hurt or division in your heart, you're just gonna add to the mess. You're making matters worse in your own life and for the rest of us. So please, for the sake of the rest of us, would you say yes to Jesus? All right, I've been a little bit, having a little fun there, but seriously, you're just gonna keep adding to the problem. And yet, if you want peace and new life, say yes to Jesus and then let us know. Text the name Jesus to 41411. Now what? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Let me be very clear. We will not have peace outside of Jesus. In case any of you are hoping and you're thinking that economic revival or political, having your political party win the election, uh, if, if we get victory in this area, if we get this Supreme Court justice, then there will be peace. No, there won't. I can tell you how the story will continue to unfold and it will go from bad to worse. Just read the book of Revelation. Things are not going to get better. They're not going to heal themselves. Jesus is the healing that we need. And our only hope and our only peace and our only salvation and our only strength is in Jesus. And so what do you do? How do you become a peacemaker? Here's what God does. He first gives you peace with him. You're reconciled a relationship with God and then he gives you the gift of reconciliation. He gives you the power to be a peacemaker. Outside of Jesus, you can't do this. Let me say that again. You can't do this on your own. On your own, you and I will make matters worse. We will only add to the turmoil. We will only pile on the division. And so the only hope, the only answer is Jesus. And so God gives you peace to become a peacemaker. So let me jump back in. Jesus unpacks that verse for you. Well, a little later in the sermon, he circles back and he explains what it looks like to be a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Sounds like a good rule. Good law. It's in the Ten Commandments. And then it continues, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's good. But I tell you, he goes, but in my kingdom, let, let, me, let me give you a little more clarity. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What? He's, he's offering a new ethic here. He goes, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, um, Raka, why don't you guys jump to the next slide? If anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which, which translates, this is a, Jesus is speaking, obviously, Aramaic, uh, and, and so he's saying Raka, which, which translates like, you fool, or like, I mean, I'm sorry, you idiot. Like, you, you, you're stupid. It's kind of, it's name calling. He goes, you know that the law says that you're gonna have to answer in court for that. He goes, and if anyone says to you, you fool, which is a little bit of a different word, it's actually like really ripping at someone's character. You're evil. You're judging someone's heart. Not just you're stupid. Sorry, the parents, I don't want your kids repeating this, but he goes, not, not just calling someone an idiot, but saying like, your heart is evil. Your character is worthless. He goes, he goes the law says you'll be in danger of fire of hell. He goes, but I want to make it clear. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Okay, so I'm going to unpack this for you briefly. I want to give you a couple brief steps that I hope that we're not only living out and modeling, 
but that we can lead you as a church in how to, how to be peacemakers. Okay, so what's the point of what Jesus is saying? I'm going to give you a couple critical steps here. The first thing is this. Peacemakers reconcile broken relationships. Uh, a statement I've used often in uh, behind the scenes in leadership training, I've offered it in sermons, is this. Conflict is inevitable. Combat, optional. All right? So here's the deal. If combat's going to be optional, it means that you and I have to recognize there will be conflict. There will be conflict in my relationships. There'll be conflict in my marriage, in my parenting, in friendships, in coworkers, you know, with coworkers and classmates. There will be conflict in our streets, in our nation. So what is the point? If you're a peacemaker, you're all about reconciling broken relationships. Well, in order to reconcile broken relationships, then I have to believe a few important things. I have to recognize that people matter. They matter to God. That's what Jesus was getting at. He goes, it's not just about not taking someone's life. It's about valuing their life. It's not just about avoiding killing them. It's about not tearing them down and hurting their reputation or injuring their self-worth. It's about initiating peace with others. We have to be on the front lines, tip of the spear of bringing healing to our streets, healing to broken relationships, healing to what is wounded in our nation. It means that we, initiate peacemakers, initiate reconciling what is broken. Well, how do you do that? Let me, let me take that passage and let me break it down for you. I'm going to give you another idea as Jesus was teaching. What was he saying? He goes, peacemakers fight fair. Right? He goes, you know, you call somebody Raka, you're calling them an idiot, you're not supposed to do that, but you're also not supposed to, you know, tell someone you're a fool, your character has no value. He goes, but more than that, he goes, that's what the law says. But I want you to know that you're under a new law, a law of love, a law of peace, where you recognize that if there's a broken relationship with someone else, it's going to affect your relationship with God. So the so how do you fight fair? Well, he, he starts off, he goes, he, here's the key, right? Recognize that life is precious. Every one of us were made in the image of God. Therefore, I recognize that every person's life is sacred and valuable. Life is sacred. I've said this in another sermon, so I'm going to repeat it, right? We believe that life is sacred because you were created in the image of God. The pre-born life is sacred and precious. The, the newborn life is sacred and precious. The marginalized, those that you dislike, those that you have a, you have a hate, relate, you, you have a hard time even believing that they're ever going to make it to heaven. Their life is precious. People who have an opposing political view, people who have an opposing view about masks, people who have an opposing view about you know, the free market system, their life is precious. And here's what this does. When you recognize that people's lives are precious, I want to give it to you. It, you, you shift from um, an us versus them, right? I said it's because we live in an either or world. You're either for me or against me. And so then people take this approach. They either accuse or they avoid. They either get loud and, and demonstrative and attack or they isolate and back away. 
But Jesus says, no, no, no. There's this new way, this different way, which is that you press in. You're not aggressively going after someone to cause pain or to cause a problem. You're aggressively pressing in to bring peace. You're initiating reconciliation by fighting fair, which means you're not calling names. You're, you're not mudslinging. You're not tearing someone down. You're valuing their life. You're valuing their self-worth, which means you're working harder toward healing the relationship than you are to win the battle, to win the argument, to, to, to win the political fight. Your view is to let people know that God values them and that you value them, that they have worth in the eyes of God, and you want to express that worth through the way you treat them. That's fighting fair, which means you're not pulling others into your grievances. You're not building alliances with others who will take your side and fight against someone that you're against. No, suddenly you're switching your perspective. And the word I would give you is this. What, God, what Jesus is offering is this idea of honor. We honor people's lives. We honor their, their worth in the eyes of God. We honor that their life is precious. Therefore, we are willing to listen and lean in and learn and love because we honor I get it. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, if I do that, won't they just run me over? Jesus is talking to crowds of tens of thousands of people who've been run over by Rome, who've been taxed into poverty, who've been abused and beaten down. And he's saying, be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as and seen as children of God. What should mark you is not your political views or your economic value or your job or your whatever you would use as an identifier in your tribe. What should mark us is that we are children of God. Okay, so Jesus continues, not only do we fight fair because we honor, but then listen, this, this is really important. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go ahead, we're gonna keep going. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. What he's saying is peacemakers are proactive. You could be in a moment of worship. You could be in the middle of a church service, online or in a campus. And as I'm speaking, you're remembering that someone has an issue with you. And you can get up right now. And you reach out to them. You say, let's make this right. That's literally what Jesus says. He goes, peacemakers initiate reconciliation. Notice that he said, it's not that you feel that some, you have a problem with somebody else. It's that you remember in the middle of worship that someone has a problem with you. And pride says, well, they can come to me if they have a problem with me. No, we're peacemakers. We initiate reconciliation, so we go to them. Here's, here's how most of us approach things, right? Uh, you win, I lose. I win, you lose, right? It's a you or me. Jesus goes, no, it's not you or me, it's we. And so you have to proactively pursue we. I, I want you to start thinking. In every conflict, and every time there's a disagreement, every time there's a, a ser serious challenge in a relationship, anytime you get trapped in this rage nation, I want you to think we, not you versus me, not I win, you lose, or you win, I lose, but we, how do we win together? 
How do we win in our city streets? Let me, let me be clear. So proactive means you know that there's something wrong. You go and you make it right. You initiate healing. You say, I'm sorry. You take time to listen. You take time to understand. You avoid the name calling. You de-escalate the crisis by valuing them and expressing their value and listening and learning. And as you listen and you learn and you take time to understand and make it clear that you understand, then they will put down arms and be willing to listen to you and then there's the beginning of a healing. And if it doesn't happen right away, keep working at it. It's worth it. Why? How do I know this? Because it was worth the life and death of Jesus Christ. God valued reconciliation. He values reconciliation for us. This is why as a church, as the leader of the church and as Lifehouse, that we've taken the posture in so many of these situations the way we have. Why? Because I want to lead by leaning in to difficult stuff. When, when there's a crisis between protesters and the police, I can tell you where you're going to find me, standing right between them, because I've done it on more than one occasion. I will walk with the protesters because I want to be their pastor. I will stand with the police because I want to be their pastor. I'll stand on our city streets because I want to pastor our city. I'm going to be where broken people are. Where should you be where broken people are? But the moment we start leaning in to having a voice of politics, we've lost our voice to the white noise of the culture around us. And so I'm always gonna take the posture of what's the third option? How do I honor? and teach love and express value and listen and learn. And here's the deal. Peacemakers are all about redemption. We're about bringing the good news of God's love because we recognize that the only healing and the only hope and the only answer is Jesus. Am I oversimplifying this? I don't think so. This cost Jesus his death and yet we have the power of his resurrection. And so I'm coming with the best news possible. I'm bringing the good news that God's love transforms nations and homes and marriages and city streets and every issue. And so I believe that the church rises above the, the rhetoric and the politics and the crazy culture chaos around us. And we bring hope and healing because we are peacemakers. You want to know where the church is? It's in the, it's in the middle of the mess. The church is in the stench of culture wars. The church is sweaty because it's working hard to bring healing in our streets. The church is where broken people are and where the destitute are and where the marginalized are. Where there is hate and hurt, the church gets right in the middle of it and we get our hands dirty because we're there to bring peace. We have the answer. Listen to me. You have the answer. You're just holding back because you're getting caught. Your voice is getting stolen and your voice is getting compartmentalized and stuck into us versus them. And you pull out of that and you say, no more, no more. I'm going to start being careful what I post on social media. I'm going to start being more careful in how I speak to my friends and my peers and my classmates and my colleagues and my co-workers. I'm going to be more careful because I want to represent Jesus well. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be seen as a child of God. Some of you, you need to start thinking like you're a missionary living in a foreign land. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We can love our nation, but because we're Christians, we are citizens of heaven. Our loyalty is to Jesus alone. And so I want to represent him well. Now, 
There's some of you, you don't have peace with God, and so my prayer for you right now is peace and relationship with God. But where can you become a peacemaker? Where can you become an individual who initiates the reconciliation of broken relationships? How do you need to start fighting fair? Some of you, you need to lean over to the person next to you right now and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Some of you, you need to shoot a text right now and say, hey, we need to talk. I need to apologize. I need to make something right. Some of you, you need to make a phone call on the way home or in the next break, and you need to say, I need to talk with you. Can I see you later? I'm believing for a miracle and restore relationships because you have the answer of Jesus and the peace of Jesus and the peace of God, which transforms. Let me pray over you. Jesus, thank you that you did not leave us broken and divided between us and God. You came to us to bridge the divide and you offered us a bridge to divide the gaps that separate us and destroy us. And they deteriorate homes and city streets and a nation. And so God, we're praying that you would give us peace and make us peacemakers. God, I am asking that every individual that hears this sermon, whether they're viewing behind their computer screen or on a, on a TV or they're in our campus, that they would become peacemakers, children of God, marked by the relationship that they have to the family of God rather than any other tribe that they would align themselves with. We are children of God. We've been set free to be faithful to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.